When I was in elementary school, my family went on some very memorable road trips. They were often like three weeks long, and uh, one of them was out to the East Coast where we went to Niagara Falls. That was the first and only time I've been to Niagara Falls, and I remember learning uh, at that time about a famous tightrope walker. Many of you know this story. His name was Charles Blondin. He came to the United States from France, and he was fascinated, actually uh, rather obsessed, with Niagara Falls. And he was quite an entertainer. He wanted to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Uh, if you don't know this story, it's like, like he strung a hemp rope across uh, a section that was like 1,100 feet this way, 160 feet above uh, Niagara Falls, and quite a showman. He gathered a crowd, because that is crazy and amazing, and he had like 100,000 people who gathered to watch him walk across this tightrope. Can you imagine that? Like step by step, inch by inch, walking over Niagara Falls. Of course, it's like a life or death sort of situation. There's no safety net. He's, you know, walking across. And um, this illustration is from history is like so incredibly good. <laughs> That if you have been in church any amount of time, you have for sure heard this because it's just such an amazing story from history. And so he's doing this. He's walking across, and um, he actually, people are taking pictures of him, and then he goes out there, and he takes pictures of the crowd as they're taking pictures of him. There's also, he did it many, many times. And um, the one time he goes out and cooks an omelet. There was one point, you're, you know, Wikipedia him. There's one point where he brings a chair and puts the chair on and actually stands on the rope and puts one foot up on the chair, on the tightrope. Like those of you who are into slacklining, this was like, right, the ultimate. Um, he actually takes a wheelbarrow and goes across with a wheelbarrow across, you know, pushing it across. Um, the crowd goes crazy. And then, at one point, he turns to the crowd and he says, do you believe I can do this? And everybody's like, yeah, because we've seen you do it before. And then he's like, do I have any volunteers? Who wants to get into the wheelbarrow? And, of course, the, the crowd is silent um, because it is this, right, it's one thing to believe he can do it. It's another thing to actually trust. It's one thing to know, like, yeah, that, that is that is true. It's another thing to actually follow. It's one thing to, like, admire him from afar, it's another thing to actually trust him. But there's one man out of like 100,000 people who knew him very well, had seen him do it like 100 times. His name was, um, what was the guy's name? Concord, Harry, Harry Concord. So he knew Charles Blondin very well and had seen him do it all these times. And he actually does. And uh, what an incredible ride, right? He, there's photos of him on his back and he, and he actually trusts him. So we are today getting closer to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon that Jesus preached. And the Bible says that there were two groups of people when Jesus preached this message, two groups of people listening to him. So at the beginning of Matthew 5, we're told this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to speak and taught them and then begins, blessed are the... Okay, so there's the crowds the masses, and then there's the disciples. And the crowd was impressed with what Jesus had to say 
uh, they liked listening to him. In fact, at one point he reached the end of the ser- towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount and we're told that the crowd says this about Jesus. This is their response. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds, they were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the re- uh, teachers of religious law. They're amazed with him. They're impressed with him. They admire him. The whole crowd admired Jesus. They were amazed at what he had to say. But only a few actually followed him. Only a few actually got in the wheelbarrow, if you will. The crowd was impressed with what Jesus had to say. But while he was teaching, while he was speaking, while he was talking about the kingdom of heaven, there were a few who, I imagine, their hearts kind of started beating a little bit. Their minds were going. They were like, I have to have what you are talking about. There were a few that were like, this is what you are saying, Jesus, is what I've been longing for my whole life. I didn't even realize I was longing for it. What you're talking about, I want more than anything else, to be fully known, to be fully loved, for no fear of rejection, to be forgiven of my sins, to have mercy dumped in bucket loads upon me, to die with you, to live with you, to, to live in you, to have your power within me, to join with you in this mission that's a, a purpose larger than myself of redeeming and restoring all that is broken. Like there was a group who would say, I would rather have what Jesus is talking about and give up everything else in this world than to have everything else in this world and give up this man. There were some people who were like, I would pay any price. I would go any place. I would give up anything. I would pay. I would do whatever he says. I would be whatever he wants me to be. I am leaving the crowd. I am not going to just admire him anymore. I am not just, I am going to live as a passionate, devoted follower of Jesus. There were some. And I think this kind of idea of the crowds and the disciples and those two groups is so simply and brilliantly portrayed in the little trailer of The Chosen If you've followed the TV series, The Chosen, you know that every episode starts with this little ditty, this little song. It's like a minute long, and you have these fish. It's like the crowd, all swimming in one direction. And then along comes a fish who has a moment, turns, repents, changes, and goes the other direction. So just to put it in our minds, let's take a look at this little trailer. the disciples. There are those who admire and those who follow. And Jesus knew that his presence and his life and his teachings and his words would have this greater impact on a few. 
And he is regularly challenging people to choose. He's regularly challenging people to decide if they will move from just like admiring him, kind of like a a sidekick to life, to following him. He's repeatedly inviting people to choose. And especially here in this section towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's emphasizing these dueling kingdoms, life in these dueling kingdoms with different values. The kingdom of the world, which is swimming in one direction, and the kingdom of heaven that is swimming in a different direction. And he says here, there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. There's a true prophet and a false prophet. There's a true disciple and a false disciple. Jesus is making these, this as, as kind of a, which are you? Many of the people surrounding Jesus enjoyed hearing him teach. They admired him, but they didn't follow him. So what's the difference? An admirer is impressed, but a follower is devoted. An admirer is like (laughs) applauding, nice job. A follower is surrendering their life. I mean, you could think about it even with, you know, humans who you admire or follow. There were a lot of people who admired Martin Luther King Jr. Only a few marched with him, and fewer still had their homes bombed like he did, Or Mother Teresa. I mean, many, many people have admired her throughout history. Fewer went and actually lived among the poor and destitute like she did. I could say after this week's release that I admire Taylor Swift's new album, but I don't follow her in creating music, right? And just as an aside, she, um, so of course, if you're paying any attention, she released another album this week. And if you're like a kind of a bandwagon fan like I am, I was (laughs) actually coming down from the mountains. I did a solo overnight by myself. And it was the night that that was released at midnight. So I knew I was coming home early to get the kids off to school. So I actually listened to it alone, in the dark, in my car, driving down from the mountains. And uh, she is... I have lots to say about some of the songs that she has um, said. I'll be writing e-news articles about uh, uh, one in particular, I'm sure. But, um, but I, so I admire, right, what she's done. But I'm not going and writing songs. I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a follower in that sense, though I admire the, the sort of poet that she is through songwriting. So an admirer is impressed, but a follower is a person who is devoted And the main difference seems to be that admirers are people who hold part of themselves back. And Jesus is constantly challenging this. So you can think throughout scripture, like in John chapter 3, you have this story about Nicodemus, a man named Nicodemus. He's a religious leader. He comes to Jesus. And this is what we're told in the Bible, Nicodemus, that he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. He is an admirer of Jesus. Like, you must have come from God. I mean, these things that you're doing, they couldn't happen if God wasn't with you. Nicodemus is admiring Jesus. But Jesus is saying to, well, also it says, though, that he came to him at night. See, he's holding a piece of himself back because he doesn't want to go public 
He wants to kind of admire from afar. He doesn't want to risk losing his religious status among the leaders of Israel. He's an admirer of Jesus at this part point, but not a follower. And Jesus says to him, like, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You got to come from the night into the light. You got to go public. You must become my follower and allow my spirit to remake you. You're going to have to give up what you have wanted the most, which is this religious status. And Nicodemus is struggling. Now, eventually he does, because when Jesus dies, Nicodemus publicly claims his body and places it in a tomb. So in a sense, he goes from the night, seeking out Jesus in the night, into the light. He became not just an admirer, but an actual follower. But Jesus is always like, what are you going to choose? What are you like? What are you going to choose? There's, there's another time in scripture where somebody who has become known to us as the rich young ruler approaches Jesus. And we're told this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him, again admiring him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you know this story. He's an admirer of Jesus. He's falling on his knees. He's calling him a good teacher. And then Jesus is like, go sell everything. Go sell all your possessions. In other words, like radically change and alter your lifestyle. Give everything away that you have to bless the poor and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler, it says, he goes away sad. Because he was ready to admire Jesus to a certain part, but he wanted to hold back a part of himself. That is where he drew the line. And Jesus is always doing this with people. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to take me seriously or are you just going to kind of admire me? Take the bits and pieces of me that you want. Most of us don't, like Sky Jathani says in this book that we're reading together during this uh, fall, he says most of us don't need more information about what Jesus said. Most of us know. Most of us know up here what Jesus said. We don't need more info. If we just applied what we knew he already said. If we just did what we already know he said, will we follow, will we do what he says, will we take Jesus seriously? So all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing this kind of life. He's saying this life of blessing, it can be yours. Blessed are you who, blessed are you, blessed are you. Like if you want it, even those of you who feel like there's no way I am so far from God, they're a million miles away from God, Jesus is saying like this blessing This blessing, this life, this life in the kingdom is available to you. It's available to everyone. It's available now. He talks about it like that. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which Tim just read, he's saying, if you want this kind of life, let me like, let me tell you how to obtain it. And he says this, like, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and only a few find it. So What's the narrow way? The narrow way is Jesus. Like to die with him, to rise with him, to live in him. This is life in the kingdom, the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is wherever God is king. It is that place, any moment of any day, where I am under the rule and reign of Jesus. Where I am allowing his lordship and his reign to rule me. And we can live under his rule and his reign and find life in his kingdom, or we can choose to live with part of ourselves back. We can choose to live our own way, what we think is best, as if we know better. And it's like the end of the Sermon on the Mount is this series of pictures 
that Jesus is giving. And every one of them is involving this stark contrast. And it's designed to make us choose. Like, there's a narrow gate and there's a wide road. There's no third gate. You know, there's this good tree and this bad tree. (laughs) There's no third tree. Like, there's these true disciples and these false disciples. No third category. There's the house coming up next week. There's the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. There's no third house. Like people who, it's like Jesus is saying, there are people who do what I say and people who know what I say, but they don't do it. Eugene Peterson in the message, he says this passage this way. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Knowing the correct password, like saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final thought. Final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preach the message. We bash the demons. Our super spiritual projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. So Tim and I were talking about this passage this week, and he's like, I could build you a narrow gate. So (laughs) he went out into the church garage and built this as an illustration for Jesus' words. Very. (laughs) And I I wonder if it is something um, like this. I wonder if we often, uh, you know, we want to take Jesus' words seriously. We want life in the kingdom. But we have this need for things like, you know, power and influence and approval, comfort and control. And these things are things that hold us back from life in the kingdom of God. So if you are, say, for example, a person of power, right? You love influence. You're a person who is like, my life only has meaning. I only have worth when I am having influence over others. When I'm experiencing that rush of power and Jesus is like, you're invited into life now in my kingdom. And you're like, oh, I want that. Oh, I didn't practice ahead of time. (laughs) Sorry, Holly. (laughs) Almost sent Holly to the doctor. (laughs) Right? And you're like, "I, I want that life Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is like, can you lay down your need for power and control and follow me. And you're like, oh, but my worst nightmare ever is to suffer like humiliation, that feeling of not being influential. 
And Jesus is like, there's a wide gate, there's a narrow gate. There's no third gate. You want a life in my kingdom? Will you lay down your need for power and influence and follow me? Am I worth more to you than that? Like, who has your ultimate allegiance? And so in that moment, right, it's like the little fish, right? Like you're swimming with the world. <laughs> you're swimming with the world in power and influence. And Jesus might, would you lay down your need for that, for life in my kingdom? Or maybe like you're a person who seeks approval, okay? You're a person who's like, my life only has meaning. I only have worth if other people think well of me if I have the approval of people around me. And then Jesus is talking about life in the kingdom. And you're like, I want that. I really want that. And he's like, you know, that narrow is the gate. <laughs> and wide is the road. Like, will you lay that down to follow me, to have life in my kingdom? Will you lay down your need for approval and control? And you're like, but my worst nightmare ever is the rejection of others. And he's like, but I offer you a place where you are fully known and fully loved and no fear of rejection. Will you live there and risk? Will you risk that to follow me? Will you lay down your need for approval? Or another super common one I think is probably, you know, the person who would say, what I really value most in life is comfort, right? Like, I'm a person who would say, my life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a life of ease, not too much stress, that things go how I want them to go, there's not too many pressures upon me. And holding this, if you want to say, idol of comfort, Jesus invites us into life in his kingdom. And he's like, and you got to lay that down right? Your need for comfort. Like there are going to be aspects to life in my kingdom that frankly are kind of dangerous, right? Like we're on a mission together and you got to lay that down because like wide is the road, narrow is the gate. And maybe for the person who really values you know, freedom and comfort in life and, and privacy and just a lack of stress and a general ease, they're like, my greatest nightmare ever is having stress, too much stress or too many demands on me. I don't want, I don't want that, right? This, it's, it's like Jesus is like, you want life in my kingdom? There will be things you lay down. There will be ways in which you repent and turn and go the other direction. Dead to sin, alive in Christ, life in the kingdom where Jesus is in charge. Comfort's not in charge. Where Jesus is in charge, approval and power. And this is my personal favorite, Maybe you're a person who's like, control. <laughs> like, my life only has meaning. I, you know, I'm only feeling having a sense of worth. If I have this general sense of like, orderly list, like I got this. I got this. I'm in control. I'm self, you know, kind of self-dependent person. Control. And again, Jesus is like, you want life in my kingdom, right? You're going to have to lay that down. You're going to have to... Let that go for life in my kingdom. I should not do that. That's a bad idea. I'm just going to put that right there before it falls on Tamara while she's singing. 
But for the person who wants and seeks control, that sense of like gaining mastery over life, I got this, I got this, I don't need any help, I got this. Greatest nightmare is like uncertainty. And Jesus is like, I'm inviting you to trust me, not your plans, not yourself, not your sense of independence, and I got this. I'm inviting you to trust me. And sometimes that's like, I'm inviting you to trust me by trusting other people that I've given you. Jesus is like, there's this wide gate and there's this narrow gate. Will you lay down your need for control and follow me? So kind of comes down to this, like, will you be a holy, devoted follower of Jesus, a passionate, devoted follower of Christ in your heart or not? Will you follow or just kind of admire from afar? Will you get in the wheelbarrow and trust? It's kind of the whole series. What if, what if we took Jesus seriously? Let's pray together as we close. God, we thank you for your goodness and mercy and love towards us. We thank you that you offer us life in you. And God, you know we are regularly settling for this pseudo sort of life of our own making. Give us the vision, God, for life lived in you and in your kingdom. Give us the will to follow. We pray all this today. In Jesus' name, amen.